cybersecurity needs to remain a priority in the way that we interact with our vendors, the way that we build our own technology, the way that we integrate technology, and the way that we support technology, Peter. Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. My guest today is Juan Perez. Juan is the Chief Information Officer of Salesforce, by some measures the first software-as-a-service company, which has been a leader in customer relationship management and beyond that earns more than $31 billion in annual revenue. Juan joined the company as CIO in April of 2022. In his role, he runs internal technology, but he's also customer zero for the company's products. He also acts as an advocate for other CIOs or the company's customers. He joined the company after more than 30 years at UPS, ending his tenure there as chief information and engineering officer of the company. He's also on the board of Hershey Company. Juan, welcome back to Technovation. It's great to speak with you today. It's my pleasure, Peter. It's great to see you again. Always great to see you. Well, Juan, uh, last time I spoke to you, you were in a different role with a different company. For the past nearly year and a half, you have been the chief information officer of Salesforce. And certainly most people who would be watching or listening to this are familiar to a great extent with Salesforce. Nevertheless, for some context setting, I'd love to hear in your voice uh, a little bit about the company. Please share if you would. Absolutely, Peter. Well, first of all, thanks again for inviting me. It's great that you do this. And I certainly believe that CIOs of all companies, all organizations benefit when you have uh, folks participating in your, in your uh, recording here and when you actually have people share their wisdom, what they've learned, the issues, the challenges that they have faced. So certainly commend you for doing this for the industry and for all of us. I'm really fortunate to work for Salesforce. It's really uh, remarkable. I spent 32 years with UPS, had a remarkable career in an incredible company that I have incredible admiration for, and I will always have admiration for UPS. You know, after 32 years, I decided to retire and I came to Salesforce. Salesforce is a really interesting company that it's founded on some very solid values. You know, values around trust, values about customer success, around innovation, around sustainability, around diversity. And that uh, has always meant something to me because those values are very much aligned with what I believe is important for businesses to succeed. Salesforce is in the business of building technology to help our customers succeed. That's the, 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 the mission, the goal, the objective that the organization lives by. I noticed and I lived through that when I was at UPS uh, working with Salesforce as Salesforce was helping us implement sales cloud in our business and later on service cloud for also aspects of what the organization does. And at, you know, at the simplest of forms, the Salesforce builds customer relationship management technology, uh, but it does a lot more than that these days. It's really focused on building all these sets of technologies that give businesses for the first time in my view, the true opportunity to have a customer 360 view of all things customer from sales, to support, to service, anything related to being able to provide great data to support all those aspects, engagement with customers, being able to track your sales activity, being able to provide better services to customers. Salesforce is also in the business of supporting companies with their e-commerce sites. And of course, through a number of acquisitions, Salesforce has really strengthened its position as the leader in CRM by now having the ability to, to support the integration between multiple technologies with the acquisition of MuleSoft. It's a really interesting acquisition. And so it's technology that it's really powerful for CIOs to be able to bring all these systems together and again, continue to provide 
that comprehensive customer 360 view. And now, I mean, Salesforce is in some really interesting space trying to bring more innovation into, into our products through the, the implementation of generative AI in support of our technologies that ultimately can help our customers again be successful. So I, I speak with a lot of excitement because I think it's really cool technology that ultimately helps businesses run. Uh, that excitement is certainly palpable, uh, Juan, and great to hear that uh, from you. And you mentioned the, the power of the services and products that you provide for chief information officers. You are one of those. And I wonder, mm -hmm. as no two roles are exactly alike, talk a bit about what's in your purview, if you would. Absolutely. Within Salesforce, uh, there are two core technology groups. There's the technology group that is responsible for building all the great technology that is sold and made available to our customers. And then there's the internal technology group, the, the group that is in position to support all different things that we do in the business to support the organization from our back office systems, of course, our human resources systems, our finance systems, but also very importantly, the technology that we use to support our sales, our marketing groups. And interestingly, you know, as the CIO of Salesforce, I do have responsibility for that internal technology. But as the CIO of Salesforce, I also have a very important responsibility, which is to use Salesforce technology inside of Salesforce. Let's talk a little bit about that, Juan. I think that is a really interesting facet of this. I know you've you've referred to it as customer zero, that you are, before even your peers as chief information officers are interacting with the products, you have a chance to do so. Talk a bit about the, the methods that you and your team use in kicking in the tires, so to speak, providing feedback, suggesting things that are working or things that are not. It, what an interesting vantage you have, and we'd love to hear more about how that's implemented. Absolutely. And, and Peter, we, we are in a really unique position to ensure that the products that we build ultimately are the right products to support our customers. One, because, of course, we use our own technology internally to support the business. But secondly, because we have, as a business, we have all these different functions that, in essence, are similar to what our customers have inside their organizations to support their customers. We have a sales organization. We have a service organization. We have, of course, a marketing organization, and all these units are using our technology to be able to run our business day in and day out. So now, you know, as customer zero, we get an opportunity to see our products firsthand. We get an opportunity to put those products in the hands of our users, all of our internal customers. They give us great feedback as to what works, what doesn't work. And we create this great virtual cycle of constant feedback so that we can create a better product ultimately for our customers. Now, I will tell you, it doesn't come with, uh, without any risk. It doesn't come with any, without any issues. But, you know, we have learned how to manage through those risks and issues. And we have created a really good partnership between our product and our technology teams and, of course, the internal IT organization to support that customer zero framework that we have been building over the years. Very good overview. You know, one of the interesting things you mentioned after uh, more than three decades at UPS, a company founded in 1907, and no doubt as an organization with such a storied history, a lot of what you focused on was making sure that the organization remained modern in terms of the way in which it did things. I think oftentimes people think of, uh, you know, newer technology organizations as not necessarily needing as much because it's naturally the oldest of their technologies are more modern by definition than the oldest of technologies at an organization with that storied history like a UPS. 
Salesforce, though, was born in the same century, just barely 1999. So I guess uh, next year you must be celebrating your quarter of a century as a company. But, you know, as you've pointed out to me, every company needs to remain steadfast in terms of modernization activities. And I'd love to hear a bit more about the form that takes in an organization like yours. You know, Peter, it's it's really interesting. I, I've been in this business as a CIO for almost 10 years. It's hard to believe. And I remember when I first became a CIO, I had this mission to eliminate technology debt in the organization. And I said, that's what we're going to do. We're going to eliminate technology debt. Well, a couple of years into the role, I realized that that was a very ambitious goal. And it was not necessarily something that was truly achievable, at least in that organization at that particular time. And I started changing my, my mindset more towards, hey, we got to manage our technology debt. It's not elimination, it's managing it. And I think, by the way, technologies today with the advent of AI and AI applications in, in, in software development, I think we're going to be able to deal with technology debt a little differently. Uh, so I'm excited about what that will bring to, to the table in, in time. But uh, to your point, and I think it's a really, a really key uh, message here for all of us, you know, we have to learn how to manage technology debt, but we also have to keep our eye on constant technology modernization. You know, what I've also learned over the years is that anytime you make a decision to implement technology, any type of technology, whether it's buying a piece of equipment for your users to use, or it's a brand new application that, uh, that it's going to be implemented in the business to create business value, you have to be thinking about the technology debt that comes with that. You have to be thinking about the obsolescence that it's introduced into the organization by bringing that technology, even as it's just being implemented. And always have a plan to deal with both the aging of technology, but also the obsolescence of technology. Good news is that, you know, there are a lot of great partners out there like Salesforce who take on some of the responsibility of managing that technology debt. They take on some of that responsibility of managing technology obsolescence because as they're building and managing their technology that is sold to the clients, well, they are actually making sure that that software is kept up to date, is being modernized, is compliant, it's secured. So that helps CIOs in many ways manage that big problem of technology modernization and technology debt. But at the end of the day, there are still other aspects of technology that CIOs need to keep their eyes on and need to manage effectively when it comes to technology modernization. You know, I, I think about even, even solutions, software as a service solutions that are made available to great partners like Salesforce, those solutions many times are integrated with other technologies within the organization. And you got to keep an eye on those integrations. You got to keep an eye with those technologies, you know, outlier technologies that interface with the Salesforce technology and what that technology that can, can mean to the effective use of, you know, something that uh, Salesforce makes available to its clients. So it's a constant process. It's something that I think all CIOs need to keep in mind as they build their budgets, as, plan, as they plan their, their priorities for every cycle? How do you actually deal with technology modernization? How do you always make sure that you account for technology obsolescence? And ultimately, how do you make sure that you prioritize what's most critical and important for the organization to keep up to date? 
wise words. And you mentioned as, as one thinks about modernization, there's an imperative to ensure that the technology remains secure. And that's itself a moving target, since, of course, unfortunately, many of the bad actors are themselves quite smart and, and innovative themselves as well. I would love to understand, if you don't mind, a bit about your approach to, to cybersecurity. Um, you've already mentioned it in the broader context of how Salesforce thinks about its products and would wonder uh, a bit more about how you think about managing it yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So specific to Salesforce, the, the top value in our, in our value chain is trust. And I actually see an organization here that lives by that. I see an organization that is truly focused on building trust into its products. Uh, I've witnessed that firsthand as we've now deployed generative AI technologies into our products. And Salesforce has actually taken the approach of building a trust layer in its AI solutions to make sure that at the end of the day, whenever you use Salesforce technology that has AI capabilities, generative AI specifically, that you know the outputs are trusted, that the outputs have no hallucinations, that the output is not toxic, that the output can be audited, and you can have a trail of uh, the, the source of the data, the source of the information, and of course, ultimately, the output that comes from those technologies. So I've seen that being built into the products themselves. Now, as a CIO, I have responsibility for cybersecurity as it relates to all things internal. And of course, it gives me great, great uh, uh, confidence that the technologies that we're implementing from Salesforce have that trust layer built into them and that trust approach built into them. Outside of that, like any other CIO, cybersecurity needs to remain a priority in the way that we interact with our vendors, the way that we build our own technology, the way that we integrate technology, and the way that we support technology, Peter. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. I was reflecting on this the other day. You know, in all these years as a CIO, I have maintained and carried a consistent five priorities with me. You know, and every year I think about, okay, what priorities should I be changing for the following year? And I have found it interesting that I've never really had to change my priorities. They're pretty consistent year after year. It always starts with cybersecurity, with security in absolutely everything we do. And that, of course, aligns also with compliance. Right after that is resiliency and reliability of the technology we support. As a, as a business today, very few businesses today are not technology-based businesses. Therefore, your technology has to be resilient. Your technology needs to be reliable for the organization to operate as efficiently and as effectively as possible. The third one is one of the areas where every CIO is actually uh, having to compete for, it's having to create great opportunities for people. It's people development, attracting the right talent, retaining the right talent. And again, with the advances in technology, you need to have mechanisms by which your people can effectively adapt new to new technologies, adopt those technologies, and ultimately you ultimately use those technologies to create business value in companies. Number four is what we are ultimately responsible for, which is to deliver technology for the organization that supports the business strategy. And number five is to be a source of innovation. IT, the IT organization today is more than just keeping the lights on and supporting technology. It's also been an engine for driving innovation within the organization. So those are my five priorities. Year after year, they're the same. But number one, I go back to your point on cybersecurity, is security. 
And none of the other ones matter if at the end of the day, as a CIO, we're not prioritizing the security of our environments and the security of the information that we have to guard so closely so that we protect the business's interests. And sadly, as we all know, there are a, a number of events taking place around the world. Those events actually create additional risks and additional challenges when it comes to cybersecurity. We need to remain vigilant. You continue to hear about all these different cybersecurity incidents that are causing significant damage to organizations. That is why cybersecurity can never stop being a top priority, in my view, for the CIO. Well said and fascinating to hear how consistently those apply across very different organizations and even across time. Thank you so much for sharing those. Well, certainly one of the differences between past CIO roles and this one is unlike UPS, for example, your customers in many cases are your peers uh, at Salesforce. And so I know, Juan, firsthand that you are somebody who spends a lot of time with customers as an advocate for the company not a salesperson per se, there are plenty of people who do that, but but as somebody who, especially as customer zero, literally uh, interacts with the company in some very similar ways and can can speak with them as a peer and, and uh, relate to them as a peer as well. Talk a bit about those sets of responsibilities, which are newer to you as a, as a chief information officer. You know, Peter, it's really, really interesting. While I was in my previous role at UPS, uh, I did have you know, quite a bit of engagement with, with customers, but it was different. You know, I was the, the executive sponsor for some major large accounts for the company. And I took that role very seriously because, you know, at the end of the day, the company succeeded just based on the relationship, the engagement and the support of our customers. And I would say all the time that it didn't really matter what I was doing. At any given point in time, if I got a call from one of the customers that I was a sponsor for, I would stop anything I've been, I was doing to make sure that I took care of our customers first. But it was not that many. I only had a handful of customers who I was the sponsor for. Coming into Salesforce, Peter, it's been, it's been a really interesting change for me. I will tell you that at first, when I saw the amount of engagement that was expected from me and my team with our customers, I was thinking that it was a significant amount of overhead and that it could be distracting and it could be problematic for us to get our work done. It's interesting, a year and a half later, I have completely changed my perspective on that. I have met with you know, many, many, many CIOs. You've been in some of the forums in which we've connected with CIOs. I can easily tell you that I have in this role met with over 150 C CIOs and uh, you know, I've come to really realize the importance of having that connectivity with all of them for a couple of reasons. One is that the engagement has been extremely rewarding for me. I have had an opportunity to connect with CIOs that in my previous role, I probably would have never had a chance to connect with. I've come to actually understand their issues and their challenges. And it also gives me to a certain degree, you know, some level of, of understanding of their issues, which by the way, are also my issues. And we can have really good discussions as to how we're solving problems for our companies in a very open forum. So that's been extremely rewarding to me. I've also had an opportunity to connect with many of them to better understand their problems, their issues, and gives me ideas on how Salesforce can actually be of assistance to them. Giving me an opportunity to become a sponsor for many of them, 
it also has given me an opportunity to to know more of the CIO landscape so that you know when there are opportunities for them in other roles and in other companies to be able to talk to them about their interest in some of those roles or opportunities and it's also given me a chance to connect some of them with some of the the board recruiting firms that I have worked with in the past with the hopes that someday they themselves can get on boards. It's it's become incredibly valuable to me. I think it's invaluable to our company that the CIO is, in a way, the voice of the technology we use. In every single interaction I've had with our CIOs, our CIO customers, I've heard the question, well, tell me how you're using Salesforce. How are you implementing Salesforce? How are you tackling the data problems that come with customer data and with customer 360 views, they want to know what we're doing. And we become, in a way, an incredibly uh, valuable resource for them to know how we implement Salesforce technology. Not that I have all the answers and that I answer every one of the questions that comes my way, but I have a great team behind me that I make available to the CIOs as well for them to be able to connect with, uh, with, with them, with my group, to get answers to their questions and hopefully support them in whatever little way we can with the implementation of our great technology in their business. Really interesting. I was reflecting also further on the the five areas that, that you've, the priorities you've carried with you across your career. The third one, uh, people development is the way you framed it, attracting, retaining great people. You also though mentioned a very important point and I hope I'll faithfully paraphrase here that the pace of change in technology is such that you also need to provide methods by which they will continue to advance their skill sets, not just rest on the laurels of the skills of today and yesterday. And I wonder what methods you use, especially in an organization that is rather cutting edge in terms of pursuing at scale the latest and greatest technology. You've mentioned generative AI, for example, uh, among many that one might. Talk a bit about how you think about providing the mechanisms such that your team can continue to advance in that way. Yeah, it's a great question, Peter. Uh, And by the way, every... Every CIO has just very effective methods for doing this. They vary depending on the organization that you're in. In our company, we're very fortunate to have a tremendous amount of expertise when it comes to building technology. That's one of the advantages of being in a technology company that you have just resources everywhere who know and understand technology. We have access to researchers who are looking at the cutting edge technology out there that can make a huge difference in the way we build technology for our customers. We have a large group of AI professionals that have incredible qualifications and and who happen to be accessible to us. I can pick up the phone and I can reach out to our head of research, who is one of the, the top experts on AI, and I can have a great conversation with them about where he sees AI going, where he sees the application of AI in our business and in our business model. That's just an incredible source of knowledge that provides great benefit to all of us within the BT, the IT organization, BT for business technology organization, to uh, be able to effectively gather more knowledge and expertise in all these different areas. And of course, the technology group that's building all this great technology also shares their best practices with us. I have adopted a model here where I don't want to have two methods for building technology in the company. The The approach that I've taken is that I adopt the methods that are being supported and that are being used by the technology organization. 
the, the, the group that actually builds the products that our customers buy because they are the best at it and because they've done incredibly well building great technology that works. Well, why would I want to invent something new or bring something from somewhere else that it's going to be contrary to what this great group is doing? So I, I think that's how we learn. I think that's how we get better. And of course, Peter, just the traditional models. We engage with you. We listen to what you have to say in sessions like this. We uh, attend conferences. You know, we have a training program within the organization to continue to update our models and the approach with which we we build technology. We have agile coaches. We have training in multiple domains, including security. All of that needs to be done. The trick here is how do you balance, right, between just getting the job done and continuing to develop your skills, continuing to learn, continuing to get better at what you do. And I leave that up to uh, our leadership team for them to actually define the needs of their team and create opportunities for them to continue to learn. Very interesting. Well, a uh, little bit more, r- roughly than four and a half years ago, you joined the board of the Hershey Company. And I wanted to ask you about the pathway towards board membership. Many who will be watching or listening this, Juan, I think uh, would, would like to walk in your footsteps if they've not already joined you at the board level. Still a, a rather elite crew, thankfully a growing one. But as you are, I think still on the leading edge of this trend, I would love to understand a bit more about how this opportunity came to you and and as a consequence, the extent to which you might offer advice for others on how they might make their way to board membership, what advice you might have. Absolutely, Peter. Well, first of all, I got to tell you, it is truly an honor for me to be part of the Hershey board. And I take that responsibility with so much pride, but also with so much seriousness. I think, you know, directors in companies like Hershey or like any other company have just a significant obligation to support the shareholders and to make sure that uh, the organization executes its strategy in support of the shareholder. And I take that responsibility very seriously. I've learned a lot about how to be a board member in the last four plus years that I've been connected with Hershey. Being a, an active working professional on a board, you know, it's 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 tricky at the beginning because you tend to want to do more management than board work. But I've actually gotten to a point where I understand the differences between the two. And I definitely understand my responsibility as a board member, not as a person uh, involved in the management, the day-to-day management of the company. Um, my path to this, this role on the board is really interesting. It started with support from my boss, you know, the CEO of UPS, uh, David Abney, who believed that his leadership team being involved in boards would do two things. One, it would help us develop as professionals, as executives certainly on the C-suite, definitely bringing more capabilities to the work that we do by having experiences uh, with other companies, by being engaged in the issues, the problems, the challenges that other companies uh, face. And then the second one was he also viewed this as an opportunity to continue to develop for higher levels of responsibility in some cases, but also to bring more expertise into the organization from external entities that many times uh, could not be directly connected with the leadership team in the organization. So he had a great vision there. He encouraged us to join. He is who encouraged me to join a board. Um, Interestingly for me, uh, I have had a lot of board opportunities. 
you know, throughout uh, throughout uh, the years that I've been a CIO for a number of reasons. Uh, one is because boards are looking for diversity. There's no doubt about that. Secondly, because boards are looking for the technical experiences, the, the skill sets that CIOs bring to the table, the strategic thinking that CIOs bring to the table when it comes to technology strategy to support the business strategy. And I think that uh, boards are going to be looking more and more for CIOs, CTOs, who have these types of skills and capabilities to join their boards because every, every company out there today, Peter, is in essence a technology company. So when you're in the boardroom and you're having discussions about the company's strategy, you got to think beyond just simply the financials of the organization. You now have to be thinking about cybersecurity risks. You have to be thinking about how technology is going to influence the way you do work. You have to be thinking about how technology is going to power your company towards the next generation of how work gets done. You got to be thinking about the impact that technology will have in your competitive landscape. You got to have an understanding if technology is creating or the lack of technology is creating a competitive disadvantage for you as a company. And also, very interestingly, with the new advents in technology, AI, for example, I think organizations are going to have to have a lot more expertise on the board to understand the implications of using, applying these technologies on the, on, on the company, in the company. So I just gave you a bunch of reasons there why I think CIOs are going to be incredibly valuable assets to boards in the future. Uh, my path, of course, was the support from my boss, a connection with a recruiting company that recruits for board positions, going through the entire process of uh, selection, and ultimately, ultimately being invited to join the Hershey uh, board. And um, I think, uh, you know, the advice that I would give to uh, CIOs listening to, to your, your podcast today would be that, first, make sure that you, 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 you want to do this. See, being a board member is, is a little different than being a CIO every day. You know, you have to be uh, willing to get into risk management from a different perspective. You have to be interested in the principles of board governance, auditing the principles of financial and risk management. You have to be willing to step away from being a manager and being a board member by asking the right questions, not always directing what needs to be done, but asking the organization to consider what needs to be done. Uh, you have to be willing to go to the board meetings, pay attention, contribute, engage. You got to be willing to always look for the best interests of the shareholders that uh, who happen to have many different interests, of course. So that's the first thing. Secondly, I think it's important that you make clear to your boss that you have an interest in joining a board and why that's going to help you and the company succeed. Just like my CEO thought that by us joining boards, that could help us succeed and that could help the company succeed as well. And then lastly, you got to get your name out there, right? You got to make sure that, you know, you work with recruiting firms or companies that you have interactions with that perhaps are looking for people with your skill to join their boards and make your intentions clear so that you can be considered for these opportunities.
Great advice all. Thank you so much for sharing those observations and experiences of yours. Juan, I also wanted to mention to you, you, you briefly mentioned it in a different context than perhaps we'll talk about it now, but I know that uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion is an important topic for you as a leader. And, and I'd love to understand some of the methods that you and, and the leadership team at Salesforce use in order to foster that. Absolutely. Peter, as I said before, diversity is one of the core values of the company. And Salesforce has truly lived by that particular value. I, I've witnessed it. I've seen it. It doesn't mean that we don't have work to do. We still have work to do in creating more opportunities for uh, underrepresented minorities. We still have more work to do to create more opportunities for women in positions of responsibility. But at its core, the company truly values the importance of diversity. And I would say inclusion as well, because today, diversity without inclusion it just can't work. You need both diversity and inclusion. One of the things that I have been very supportive of at UPS and here at Salesforce is the whole notion of our business resource groups. And I think it's really important for leaders. You know, you have CIO leaders in listening to you today. I think it's really, really important that we take ownership and responsibility in supporting our business resource groups in engaging with the business resource groups, in demonstrating to those groups, you know, what it takes to become a C-level person in a company, but also very importantly for them to understand that they can reach these levels with good work, with continuous education, with continuous development. So definitely supporting the business resource groups is extremely important. For me personally, it's also very important to support women in technology uh, my daughter is a woman in technology, so so I have a coach right next to me that's constantly coaching me on how I should create a better environment for women to succeed to, to succeed in technology. I think uh, as CIOs, we also have an obligation to create a great environment for women to thrive to succeed in technology. At the end of the day, you know, diversity and inclusion is just good business. I've seen that firsthand. I've seen where diversity and inclusion ultimately brings uh, diversity of thought and that diversity of thought helps us build better technology, better support technology, and of course, better align with the organization's strategy as we build technology to support that strategy. So it's just good business all around. I'm really committed to this. I, you know, I'm, I'm always really uh, critical of this. UPS uh, uses a great term that was that was coined by our by the company's founder, Jim Casey, back in those early days of the company. He uh, used to say always that we all need to be constructively dissatisfied. Constructively dissatisfied. It was his way of speaking about continuous improvement, always looking for us to be better at what we do. Well, I think that uh, when it comes to diversity and inclusion, we all collectively need to be constructively dissatisfied, always and always uh, look for ways in which we can create a more diverse and inclusive environment for our people to succeed. Very very well articulated. Thank you, Juan. I wanted to also ask you, we've already mentioned a number of trends that Salesforce is taking advantage of and that are appearing and, and uh, now driving a, a lot of the products uh, that the, the company is putting into the marketplace. I, I wanted to give you a chance, though, to maybe underscore those that have you most excited as you look to the future. Um, what, what might those be, Juan? Yes, absolutely. You know, Peter, I, I, of course, I would be completely lost here if I didn't tell you that uh, I didn't think that generative AI is here to stay and it's going to have a significant impact in many aspects of business. Now, generative AI is not going to solve all problems. 
when you're manufacturing something, you still need machines and people to manufacture something. Uh, you still need the creative thinking that that goes into into building things, into creating things. You know, I look at the at the book, uh, your book right behind you, right? World class IT strategy. I don't think that there's a generative AI solution out there that can actually build and write a book with the content that uh, is in your book, where you actually had to go through, you know, what should be the, the flow? What should be the key messages? How do you get those messages across? How do you actually share those strategies with CIOs so that they can ultimately get them implemented? How can you help the CIO be better? Generative AI is not thinking about all those things. So I think that generative AI is going to become a great, uh, a great supporter, a great uh, advisor in some cases. It's going to become a great uh, assistant, uh, a great co-pilot. You know, as the term is being used by companies out there. I think that that will happen. But what I think will happen as well is that with that, it will free up humans to do what we do best, which is to think which is to solve complex problems, which is to really be more creative, to be able to build more software. <laughs> well, there's so much need for software to be built to solve incredibly complex problems in all kinds of businesses, in all kinds of organizations and companies, that to be able to free up capacity in our development teams, to be able to do more of that and less of the mechanical things that can be done by AI, I think it's an exciting future, I really do. And then along those lines, uh, I don't think we've seen the end of improved compute power, improved storage power, improved networking capabilities, improved data transfer capabilities. I think that I'm going to continue to see great gains made in having real-time data accessible to all for us to be able to make better decisions, both in our personal lives and, of course, in our business lives. So I'm excited about that. Will that you know what that will be? If I were at UPS a few years back, I was really excited about drones and I was really excited about autonomous guided vehicles. I'm still excited about some of those technologies. It's taken a little longer than I initially thought to see them really take hold. But uh, I think that there's incredible potential in many businesses for those technologies still. So we got to remain connected with that and see how all of that continues to evolve. Uh, but it's really an exciting time, Peter, to be in technology. I really believe so. It's an exciting time to be a CIO. It's an exciting time to really have an influence in how companies use technology to better manage their operations, to create better experiences for their people, and to ultimately create better experiences for their customers. Very well said. Very well said. Well, Juan, I wanted to um, also ask you, as somebody who's had a really storied career, both at UPS, now at Salesforce, you've been a C-suite executive, you've been a CIO for a decade plus, as you point out. As you reflect back, what have been some of the difference makers along the way that propelled you to the heights that you have reached? What are some things that come to mind? You know, Peter, I... I uh... You know, I wrote a little paper on the 10 leadership skills that I learned from my time at UPS. Uh, UPS truly formed me into the manager that I am today, the leader that I am today. And I'm incredibly grateful for all the opportunities that I had throughout those 30-some years. I'm not going to go through all, all 10 of them, I promise you. But I'll tell you a couple that are really, really important to me. One, of course, is having fire in the belly, living with a sense of urgency, uh, making sure that, you know, that sense of urgency is not misrepresented or misunderstood, but it's one 
that drives our teams to do better, to be better, to want to actually execute better on the things that we do as a team. That's really important to me. The next one is to be service-driven. I learned that over the years. Uh, I truly believe in the concept of servant leadership. The best leaders that I ever worked with were those who actually put the organization ahead of themselves, were those who really wanted the company to do well. And as a result of that, they wanted their people to do well. And they did all they could in their power to actually help their, their team succeed so that eventually they could succeed, of course, but at the end of the day, so that the company could succeed. The next one that I will tell you that has helped me immensely throughout my career is to, to live a, a, a life of integrity. And integrity comes in many ways. When I talk about the 10 leadership lessons that I have learned over the years, I speak about things such as being able to report bad news, being transparent, uh, being able to take on responsibility when things don't go well. I learned that from leaders at UPS who always insisted, hey, I'm okay with listening to bad news. I'm okay with understanding what's not going well. It'll help us get better. I think it's really important. And I actually group all of those into the whole notion of integrity. And then the last one that I will say, you know, it's a, it's a really high bar to get to, but you got to constantly strive towards it. And that is to uh, drive ex to excellence in all you do. Again, it's difficult to achieve excellence in absolutely all you do, but you got to keep striving towards excellence. And it doesn't matter what job you do. You know, in my career, I did a lot of jobs that I never thought I was going to be doing, including the CIO job, by the way. But, you know, once you get the role, you get the opportunity, you got to strive to be the best. You got to strive to do the best you can. You got to strive to uh, do everything with a high level of excellence. Sometimes it works really well, sometimes it doesn't but you got to keep trying and working really hard towards that level of excellence. Great lessons, certainly, Juan. I really appreciate you sharing that. And I, I appreciate a great conversation covering numerous topics reflective of the remarkable role you've played at multiple organizations, obviously more specifically the role you're currently playing at Salesforce and some of the interesting intricacies of, of the CIO role as it's manifested at a company like yours. It's always wonderful to see you. I always learn so much from the depth of your insights, which I'm, I'm so grateful you shared with this audience today. Thank you so much, Juan. Well, Peter, my pleasure. Thank you. Keep doing this. I think it's great to continue to uh, bring CIOs together, technology leaders together to learn from one another. I learn a lot from listening to others, listening to you, reading your, your material, and of course, listening to other great CIOs out there who are every single day working diligently at making their companies better through the use of technology. Thank you.